0: This last week on Thursday, CNN did an article, a, a story on the uh, conclusions found via the World Happiness Report. This is a study responsible for measuring society's happiness, and they, they released the 10 happiest countries in the world, um, and you can see that list, it's, a, it's on the internet, you can go and find it yourself. But you can see the top ten happiest countries in the world. And what they're trying to do is encourage you to go visit these countries so that you, in turn, will be happier because you went to these places. If you're wondering, the United States was number 15 on the list. Uh, you can actually go and read this whole report. It is lengthy. It is long. Who knew it would be such a thick report, but it is. And uh, I, want, I want you to see this clip from the CNN website. And we can read... Uh, I want you to just see the highlighted portion Uh, of what this guy Jeffrey Sachs says. Uh, Through the Happiness Report, this this Sustainable Development Solutions Network hopes to encourage governments to invest in the level of their people's happiness. And he says, there is no single key to happiness. The network's director and economics professor at Columbia University said, all of these countries do well in several ways. Being rich... That's good, but it's only a modest part of the story. Trusting society, having a government that ranks on low corruption, a society where people are are generous and volunteering, all of these are important for happiness. Um, These really are some great things to consider, but this really is all based upon outward temporary circumstances. Anytime you look at these reports, it's based on outside forces that determine how somebody is going to be happy, how somebody is going to have it all. The world often thinks, if I can have it all, people, places, and things, then I will have true happiness. Uh, but Jim Carrey put it this way, and he said, of a society that thinks that they have it all, you know, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, The Mask, some iconic figures for me growing up but he said I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer that's pretty big so when it comes to happiness the world says there's a way to it the world has its opinions and has its ideas and so what is the answer and how do we see ourselves truly happy Jesus has words for us, and Jesus introduces us to a way to happy, a shocking way to happy, if you will. Um, We've been talking about the past several weeks, the Beatitudes, this introduction to the greatest sermon, speech, teaching the world has ever seen And he sets the stage with these beatitudes, and he opens up with blessed are the poor in spirit. How in the world, blessed, happy, is someone, wait, that doesn't make sense. Let's start again, Jesus. Go ahead, take it. All right, start over this time. Leave out poor in spirit. Leave that out, and then we'll start again. Go ahead, start. And he didn't. (laughs) He just kept going. He did not take back his words. He did not... He did not pull them back. He did not kind of calm them down. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. Bankrupt before God is what we're seeing. Saying, I don't have it in myself to please God. I cannot do it on my own. I cannot work my way to God. I cannot work my way to this internal something that God is offering people. The Beatitudes is not a checklist for me to do. But Jesus is painting a picture of those who are his. The Beatitudes is not for us to go home and go, all right, I got a checklist. I've checked this off. I'm, all right, check off porn spirit. Got it. All right, what's the next one, Jesus? Let me get the next one. All right, blessed are the, those who mourn. All right, Jesus, I'm mourning. All right, check. No, it's not that. These are results of being his. This is this litmus test, if you will, of what does a Christ follower look like? And so it is good to look at the scripture. It is good to look at the Beatitudes and go, man, where does my life line up with? Do I see poor in spirit when I look at Christ or do I see arrogance and pride? Do I see mourning in myself over my sin when I look at Christ or do I just see I don't care? These are good things to consider and they are not a checklist but they are pushing us back to the gospel, pushing us back to Jesus and who he is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How are they blessed? Because God fills them. He gives them his kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. How are you blessed? He comforts you. The very comfort of God comes around you. And last week, Miss Sue, just giving those hugs to those kids. The comfort of God is the blessing. God himself. And so, if poor in spirit and mourning don't sound like a thing for happiness causing, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, before we go any further, we have to do some defining. Because the American language, and this is why I struggle with American English, because words have been lost in translation. And you have to be very careful when somebody says a word, you need to stop them and say, What do you mean by that? Because you and I may be saying the same word, but have very different definitions. So you go to an American dictionary, and this is the definition you will see for meek. Evidencing little spirit or courage, overly submissive or compliant, very docile. Now, there are some of you in this room that may be like, well, I'm meek because I'm, I'm very self-spoken. The thing is, soft-spoken people... Can harbor a lot of anger in their hearts. You just don't know about it. So you're just as wicked as I am. I let mine out. You just hold yours in, and it's the same thing. It's destructive in both ways. It's that it's that guy from uh, Office Space who so he's talking about his stapler. Like you, you hear him. He's very meek, but at the very end, they find out he, he's not getting a paycheck, and so he's like to burn his place to the ground. Like he says it very low. Nobody hears it. He's soft-spoken, but that doesn't mean he's meek. He's wanting to exercise his authority by burning this place to the ground. So, um, But with this working definition of meek, the Jews of the day would have been like, that's it, I'm out. He said, meek, that's not going to happen. See, for them, they were, they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a rescuer to come and deliver them from the oppression of other leaders. And they were looking for a guy to come and bring them out and establish this kingdom that was going to be forever, that they would no longer be under the oppression of anyone else. And it was going to happen, not through meekness. It's going to happen with a sword. It's going to happen with authority. It's going to happen with military and material, which is kind of how we would think success and happiness would look today. The world says meek get nowhere and nothing. "'The meek are ignored and passed by. "'You have to be tough and overbearing to get it all. "'And I know that meek is not normal.' Because if you've ever been to the Asheville Courthouse, I'm just, this is hypothetical, this is not me, you, of course, it's it's you, not me, that's gone to the Asheville Courthouse. And if you go into the Asheville Courthouse and you have to pay a ticket, let's say you have to pay a ticket, not me, because I don't have to go to the courthouse because I'm a pastor, I've never had to go to the courthouse for any reason, and you walk into this sitting area, you, not me, because I've never had to go and sit at the courthouse for any reason at all ever in my life. And you they usher you into this room, you, not me, because you sit in these pews. You sit in these pews. They put you in these rows of pews if you go to the courthouse. And there's about eight on each side. And so you walk in and this officer tells you to go sit in this pew. You, not me, because I've never had to go to the courthouse in my entire life because I'm a pastor and you're not supposed to go to the courthouse or ever have to pay a fine or anything because you do everything right and you're perfect. And uh, so when you go and you sit, sit in these pews and you wait in these seats and then you get up and then you go stand in a line to go pay your fine you not me because i've never had to do that before uh and so what happens and the reason i know meekness is not normal is because when the officer who is ushering people into those pews is not paying attention somebody walks in and walks straight to get in line everything in you goes whoa hold up i want justice It's ironic. It's funny that you're sitting in a pew because you've broken the law, but yet you want you, not me, because I've never done that before. And so you're sitting in this pew waiting. You have to wait 16 or 18 pews just to go get in line to go pay your fine. And if the officer is not paying attention and somebody just walks into that courthouse, they walk right into that line, everything in you goes, how dare they? How dare they? Hey, I mean, and there were people that would do that. And then people would stand up and be like, hey, they didn't wait. And the officer would be like, all right, get back over here. Come on. And I mean, you can feel it. this something in you that does not want to be passed by. Like when somebody zooms by you on the interstate, cuts you off. See, I've always joked that my car is like this Holy Spirit force field. And the Holy Spirit cannot get into my car. Like, and, and it's funny because I've really toned down. I have. I really have. But it clicked that my children are listening to me. Uh, We're driving behind somebody, and I I don't remember where we were going. And my son, I'm driving, and I'm like, can this person go any slower? Like, I just said it out loud. My son goes, Dad, why would you want them to go slower? They're already going slow enough. (laughs) And I was like, oh, man. But it's it's this thing in us that always wants to throw ourselves out there and exercise our authority. And meekness speaks to that. It's not natural. We want to throw our weight around. We want people to know we've been wronged. We want people to know everything about us and our authority. But the condition that you and I enter into our spiritual inheritance in Christ is not by might, but meekness. The biblical definition is very different than the English dictionary. You might use words with, that associate with meekness as high-spirited courageous, and great strength. The Greek word for meek is gentleness, humbleness, considerate, all with this undertone of self-control. Very different than the American dictionary definition. If Jesus was intending to create a people who were spineless cowards and timid weaklings, he would have said, blessed are the weak, spineless cowards. Jesus' words were pointed and right on, and he did not mince words, he did not mix words. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The picture is of a horse being trained, although that horse could destroy the trainer, it doesn't. Strength under control. Although Bruce Banner could destroy an enemy as the Hulk, he refrains because there are civilians around. Now, he doesn't do that very often, that's why he's called the Hulk, but occasionally he does get it right. See, outbursts of rage and fury are actually the opposite of meekness. They are signs of weakness. If you are a person who is fast to explode and a person who is always trying to get your way and full of rage and fury and outbursts of anger is how you respond, that is not strength when in fact it is Weakness. Many times, when you're talking to somebody who lost control and they did something they did not mean to do, they say, I, I had a moment of weakness. And it was, but it was very different because it was them exercising their authority and strength. So they understood that they did not have self control and that it was weakness that actually got a hold of them, not strength. Strength under control. The Puritans said it this way. And I love this definition, a meek spirit like wet tinder will not easily take fire. A meek spirit like wet tinder will not easily take fire. And what makes you and I wet tinder is the deep knowledge that we are as bad as everyone might think we are. It's kind of a humbling position to know you're poor in spirit and bankrupt before God. And it causes a mourning in us that goes, God, without you showing up, I have nothing. And a result of a poor spirit mourning before God is meekness, being being moldable by God, but also an extension in relationship. I can extend grace to people because I know how broken I am. See, you and I, and this is the way Christians work, and I love this. I love it. Because we're so personal in our personal relationship with God and our private personal relationship. And it's it's all about my personal private relationship, okay? So we're quick to admit something, a failure, a shortcoming to God. And we're like, oh yeah, God, thank you so much for forgiving me. But then if a brother or a sister comes to you and points out that same sin, you're like, all right, let's go. Right? Right? We confess it before God, but if somebody brings it to us and puts their finger on that sin that we've already confessed clearly before God, somebody brings it to us, we're ready to punch them in the nose. How dare you? See, that's not meekness. Meekness is a response to being poor in spirit, mourning before God. The result is, yeah, I'm as bad as you probably think I am, (laughs) Even if they're accusations or if they're bringing to you something that may not be fully true, as a meek person, you find the truth in some of their statement. Or even if it's just false in general, you don't really care. Because it's not your authority you want to exercise. It's being meek, it's that strength under control. Meekness also recognizes the good news of not having anything to defend. Do you know that? Do you know that it's freeing to walk around in life not having to defend a thing? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, Jason. And see, this is, this, is, this is the kind of questions pastors get asked all the time. So if somebody breaks into my house, am I just supposed to lay down and let them do whatever they want? Like, why would you ask me that? No. It's not in that robber's best interest to let them do whatever they want. So no, justice is a good thing. And, and, and look, you come into my house we got problems that's not meekness that's that's not that's weaknesses and we're not doormats that's not what we're talking about here but we're talking about in the day-to-day because chances are you're not gonna have somebody breaking into your house every moment but you are gonna have somebody thinking something about you every moment and you caring about what they think is a struggle You wanting to exercise your authority and making sure they know you're not as bad as they think they are. You've got some moral superiority that needs to be recognized. That is not meekness. Now, another way of explaining meekness would be the word teachable. Um, And I, I do have an experience, a story of that walking in the blessing of expressing meekness. When I was a freshman in high school, I was this cocky, arrogant basketball player I thought I was great. I thought I was amazing. I thought I was fantastic at basketball. I beat all these other people. Beat, You know, whatever. In my ninth grade year, I went out for the freshman team. And after the last day of tryouts, I got cut. And it was a devastating blow to me. My arrogance, my pride, everything. My identity was in question. Everything about me, I was furious over and I fumed for a couple of days talking bad about the coach talking bad about this giving excuses and saying all this stuff and it wasn't until three or four days of cooling off I said well I'll go to the coach and I'll ask him why he cut me it was humiliating to me because all I wanted to do was be angry at him and just talk bad about him and be furious with him And I went to the coach, and I said, hey, man, why did you cut me? And he explained to me that in basketball, you cannot shoot from your hip. And I did. I was a little kid. I was short, and I had to use all the strength I could to push that ball up there. But it went in. I didn't care. I thought, this is great. It'll go in. Coach will pick me up. And he said, if you want to go any further, you have to change the way you shoot. You have to bring that ball up over your head, and you have to be able to follow through. And he explained all these techniques to me. I just went away mad. I was like, I can't believe this over something so simple as, as, as the way I shoot the ball. Can't you work with me on the team? <laughs> but that year, I put into practice what that coach told me. I went to try out for the JV team that summer for the, for the summer league. And the very first day of JV tryouts, I was just getting ready to start practice with the JV team. And the varsity coach walks over to me. He's like, I don't want you to try out. I was like, dang it. I worked so hard all year. And he goes, I want you to try out for the varsity. It was huge for me, but I would have never had that experience had I fumed at the coach enough to never go and hear from him what I needed to change or what needed to be done to adjust in my basketball skills. See, this is meekness. It's strength under control, being teachable, able to receive Something like that. Meekness in the life of a Christ follower is built on what we've already talked about. Poverty of spirit and mourning. But this understanding leads to a new picture of who I am. And it affects my interactions with others. Meekness is not just a position of the heart, but it is also expressed outwardly when we interact with the world. What is to be the mark of a Christ follower's life? Galatians 5.22 actually calls it one of the fruit of the spirits, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How are we to respond to God's Word? Meekly, in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger, here's the thing. Human anger is based on my wants and my needs not being met. So I blow up on somebody else does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Here it is. And humbly, the word there is with meekness. Accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. How do we share with others? 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness, meekness, and respect. How does meekness develop in us? And like the first two, poverty of spirit and mourning, you and I can't muster it up on our own. It's not a checklist to be attained, but something that develops when we look at Christ. And how does this develop? Psalm 37, Jesus' understanding of how people inherit the earth. This is not a new concept. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 37, we'll just look at it briefly. If you've got your, you know, turn on your phones to Psalm 37 or open your Bibles. It's up to you. I don't know what you've got here. But in Psalm 37, we see this understanding, and it's all about this meek understanding. This teachable, this strength under control, this yes, God has made us with strengths and weaknesses, but I'm not going to operate in my own. I'm going to operate in some other strength. And in Psalm 37, just listen to these words. And I hope that you'll hear this teaching that Jesus is saying, this one sentence in Matthew 5, 5, it's not earth-shattering news. It's actually the way to God's blessing. In, in um, Psalm 37, starting in verse one, "Fret not yourself because of evil-doers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Isn't this why we exercise our authority? It's because we're looking at everybody else, right? We're looking around and we're comparing ourselves and we're seeing somebody who who doesn't love God getting this blessing. And we're going, oh, then then I have to do that. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And the very first thing of this psalm is don't look around. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Because here's the thing for a Christ follower. There is nothing in the world we would trade with the world to be. In the world, because we have Christ. I am not, trait. That's, that's our desire, that's really our hope, is uh, there is nothing the world has to afford or offer me that's better than Christ. That's what a Christ follower would boast. Now, a churchgoer may not say that, but a Christ follower would. A Christ follower would say, there is nothing this world has to offer me that can beat what Jesus has done. And so the first thing the psalmist says is don't look around at other people because that's going to cause you to feel like you need to flex. And in verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. The psalmist says that in a world of chaos, we're not sticking our head in the sand, we're not ignoring troubles, but we are very aware of the power of God. We are very aware that things are broken, things are not right, stuff is going on, but we are more aware that there is a God who is all-powerful, and we will trust that He knows what's going on. Verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Now, you and I know what it means to delight. Delight means a high, deg- high degree of pleasure or mental satisfaction, to indulge in something immoderately. You know what that means? Chocolate. You know what it means to indulge in something immoderately. You know what it means to go, You know that feeling. This is the very same feeling the psalmist is going for when he says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Listen to the results. And he will give you the desires of your heart. And I want to make something very clear here. Because this is not you going, All right, Lord, I've delighted myself in you. Now where's my Ferrari? All right, Lord, I've delighted myself in you. Now where's my house? I've delighted myself in you. Now where's my husband? See, here's the problem with us. In that desiring, that delighting ourselves in the Lord... He gives us the desires of our heart. Do you know that means He gives us Himself? For the Christ follower, the greatest delight and desire, it's the same thing for us. See, I'm not delighting in the Lord so He'll give me my money. Because if that's what you're doing, you've identified your idol. If you're sitting there going, you know what, Lord, I've delighted myself in You enough today, how about you give me something? You're actually not worshiping or delighting yourself in God. You're delighting yourself in the hopes that you're going to get the thing that you want the most. And it's not God. <laughs> so for the psalmist, he's saying meekness develops when we delight ourselves in Jesus. We look at him and we go, he is way more than enough. And he will give you the desires of your heart. He is faithful to give you himself. And he is our sustainer. and He is our He is, we inherit the kingdom, we inherit the earth, he gives us his comfort. Verse five says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. God is the one who comes to our defense. I don't have to defend myself because God defends me. No one can say anything about me that God doesn't already know and he still loves me. (laughs) Like This is our our hope. This is our anchor. This is, you know what, when somebody comes at me and says, Jason, you're ignorant, you're foolish, and you're a sinner. I can say, yes, I am. I don't have to go, well, you know, I do a couple of other things really well. (laughs) I can just say, yeah, you're right. But Christ gave his life for me. The freedom of not having to walk around defending yourself. Good grief. The number of you that would be so relieved and stress relief if you would just understand that God is your defense would bring freedom like you've never experienced before. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. You know what's funny is when my wife and I had a dog uh, early on when we got married, um, we decided it would be a good thing to take this dog to obedience school. You know what they teach dogs in obedience school? They don't teach dogs how to run around like crazy people, biting things, ripping, you know, shelving down, and peeing and pooping on everything. You know what they teach a dog in in obedience school? Stay. That's really what they teach the dog. The whole time we were there, the whole time we were there with this dog, and it didn't work, but still, the whole time we were there, the dog was supposed to learn to stay. It's the same with us. We're running around, going crazy, you know, Chewing on shoes, that's what we do. We just run around crazily. We just go crazy. It is a learned skill to stay still before the Lord. And it's in that staying still, we catch an eye of who he is, and it causes us to go, wow, I want that defense. I don't want the defense of myself or any other man. I want God to be my defense. Verse 8 says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. There it is again, weakness displayed in anger and in rage. As we sit, as we commit our ways, as we trust, these are the things that begin to cause strength to rise, self-control to be developed. Verse 10 says, In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he won't be there. It is a Christ follower's understanding that the ways of the world will soon be gone. So it does us no benefit to look around at them and study them. But it does us every benefit to fret not, to trust in the Lord, to delight ourselves in Him, to commit our way to Him, to be still before Him. And in verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Isn't that what we're wanting? Isn't that why we do what we do? We're just hoping to be able to exhale and breathe because we're at peace. And the scriptures paint a picture of how we get there is not the way the world operates. So, who are the meek? Those who trust in the Lord, delight themselves in the Lord, commit their ways to the Lord, are still before the Lord. These are the meek. And these are those who inherit all that is in Christ See, the meek man inherits the earth, the new heaven and the new earth, yes to come when Jesus returns, but now he inherits the earth because he has everything he could want or need in Christ. He is satisfied and content in Christ. Now, all through the scripture, we see the folly of our own efforts and trying to work to earn the blessing of the Lord, but God is the one who's faithful to his promises See, in the Old Testament, there was a promise that they would inherit the land they were walking to. They would be given the land. They would not take the land. There were sometimes, yes, the Lord said, go up and take the land. Many of the times, the promise was, you're going to go and I'm going to give to you what you need. You will inherit. inherit- inheritance comes not because of my work, but because of my relationship. My relationship to whoever is giving the inheritance, that's what determines it. And my relationship to God is that of son or daughter through faith in Christ in Jesus. Jesus was truly the only meek person to ever live on the earth. Jesus was the only person who never had a selfish desire, a desire to one up people, a desire to shame someone else for the sake of his own name, but he lived fully understanding the glory of God. This is how we were supposed to live, but we can't and we didn't. But Jesus did. So it's not just meekness that we need. It's actually the meekness of Christ that we need to put on. It is His. And it's because Jesus inherited everything that His Father promised that you and I, through relationship, inherit as well. So what does this mean now? You know, as the band comes and we, and we conclude this morning... You and I are always going to assume there's something about us to worth, worth defending. Some moral uprightness, some pride, some, some righteousness of our own that we want to make sure people know about. And if they bring up any of my struggles or stuff, I'm ready to pounce on them. I'm ready to jump on them. And this is not meekness. The meekness of Christ keeps me from the constant drive to defend myself, and it allows me to put others first. You know, I've already talked about how the poor in spirit and mourning we've set aside and we've recognized all of our brokenness. And you know what that means? Is We don't have to pretend anymore. <laughs> we don't have to pretend that we're someone that we're not. We can afford to be honest and forthright about our weakness and our failures, and we can even embrace them. You know, Jesus is not just our example, but Jesus lived perfectly this picture of strength under control. He refused to use his powers for selfish gain. Even the thief on the cross said, hey, Jesus, you saved people. Now why don't you save yourself and me too? Because isn't that what the opposite of meekness is? It's us trying to exercise our authority. It's self-preservation. We want to save ourselves, and so we want to save face. We want to save everything, and, and so that's why we act. See, this is not weakness. Jesus was not weak. He flipped tables in the temple when he was, saw the corruption there. He, comf- he confronted the Pharisees, and he rebuked the disciples. But Jesus could do all of these things and still be meek, because he never did any of these things for his own sake. He did not intend to one-up anyone or defend his own reputation. Jesus was not threatened by other people. He didn't do anything out of personal defense or a need to make anyone feel smaller than him. He did everything out of a desire to see God glorified. This is the life that you and I should have lived, but we didn't. This is why we need more so than just meekness. You and I need the covering of the meekness of Christ And it comes through faith that he did everything that is needed to be right with God. The gospel tells us that I'm not morally superior to anyone else and that I no longer have to fear other people or their opinions. Because of this, I'm actually free to love them. As long as I see someone else as a threat to my reputation, I will never be free to love them the way Christ invites us to love people. And in the seventh grade, I I think, men, don't get me wrong in this, but I think I'm just a taller, heavier, wealthier version of my seventh grade self. And not by much in the wealth department. Um, But when you're a seventh grade boy and you're sitting in that classroom and the pecking order has already been decided and a new seventh grade boy walks into the classroom, do you know the first thought in a seventh grade boy's thought? I can take him. Or, I can't take him and I've just moved down the pecking order. See, this is, this is what we think now. We think the same thing now. We haven't changed since middle school, and if you think you have, you're just blind. <laughs> We're the same. But someone who's poor in spirit and broken over their sin and what it costs the Father can acknowledge these things very quickly rather than fighting it. But it's in that we understand that the gospel meets us. Looking at Christ on the cross squashes all of our attempts for self-righteous justification. And we rest in what Christ has done. He alone is our defense. His strength was unparalleled, yet children felt safe around him. His authority was is infinite and sure. Yet people chose to follow Jesus. They weren't forced or labored over or, or lorded over them, but they chose to follow Jesus, meek and mild lowly and humble of heart. Jesus is gentle with us. This is why we are gentle, meek before others. So this morning as we worship together, I, just, I would ask that you would consider the meekness of Christ. If He is God and He is fully powerful, but yet He is under control enough to be gentle with us as sinners. How do we respond to other people? Meek or harsh? It's really hard to treat others harshly when you have an accurate view of yourself before a holy God looking at the cross of Christ. Don't you want to be taught by that? I know I do. I don't get it right. And that's why I thank God for Jesus every day because he did. And our trust is in the one who did get it right. So there's gonna be some elders and some gel leaders standing over there that if you're at a place where you're just like, I just need to be prayed for, uh, it may not have anything to do with what we just talked about, but it might. If that's you, they're available. Um, I'll be over here if, if you're sitting there going, I just don't know what it means to trust in Christ. I don't know what that means. So would you, would you walk with me through that? And I'd love to. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to look at Jesus, meek and mild, and what that means. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the display of meekness that you showed, not just as our example, but you are our meekness. We trust you fully because you're the one who has never acted out longer or or, or angry or, or anything for selfish desires, but Lord, you lived for the glory of the Father, the life we were supposed to live. You lived on our behalf. May we trust you for it. It's in your name we pray.